Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton. Good to have you with us. It's cold out there, isn't it? It is cold. But it's good to be here together, and um, Merry Christmas to everyone. We're in a series right now uh, called Pursuing the King. It's a Christmas series. We've been looking at people that are looking for Jesus for the first Christmas. We call it the first Christmas. We've been paying attention to Luke chapter 2 and as well as uh, the first two chapters of uh, Matthew. And um, I was looking at this particular story today that doesn't, it, I don't know, it seems that as I'm working through this series, God is challenging my traditional view of what happened at the birth of Christ. Hope that's happened to you as well. One of the things is this, this story we're going to look at, it doesn't fit into my traditional view of things. Because it's about people waiting. And if you have any childhood memories, isn't that the one that waiting for Christmas drove you crazy at one time or another? You know, you're, I, I remember Merry Christmas would soon be replaced with uh, in a minute, in a minute, it would seem like we're, con- you know, I would count the days, I would count the hours, and I don't know what it's like for you uh, on Christmas, during the Christmas, when you open your presents, but in our family, which had few traditions, we had few traditions in our family. One of them was we opened up our presents, though, uh, on Christmas Eve, and it was always Christmas Eve night. And living on a farm, it seemed like that would never come, because my dad would send Danny and I out and Mike out to do the chores, feed the pigs, do those things. You know, near the uh, end of the day, as uh, around 4, 35 o'clock, it started getting dark. And this was like hours, grueling hours, because we'd hurry up, do our chores, come in, take our coats off. Okay, Dad, you know, we're going to open the presents now? Because he called the shots for some reason on this particular day. And and, um, uh, he'd say, did you get the pigs fed? Well, yeah, we go through this every year. Yeah, we got the pigs fed. Did you bed them down? What? Get out there and bed the pigs down. They, it's cold out there. And so we'd put our coats back on. We'd go back out there. We'd bed all the pigs down. Come back in. Okay, we're done. Now can we open up the presents? And he goes, wait a minute. Did you take care? Did you get them fed? Yeah. Did you bed them down? Well, yeah. Did you take care of that sow way? In, oh, we already knew what was going to happen. We started putting our coats on. Did you take care of that sow way in the back? No, we forgot. Get back out there and get care of that sow. Make sure you... Feed it and bed it down. You know, it's cold. I go, okay. So we go, we're going, we're thinking, we're never going to open these presents up. Then we come in. I'll never forget this. We finally come in. Did you get the pigs? Yes. Did you, did you bed them down? Of course, Dad. We got, and we took care of that sow. Did you water them? Huh? Did you water them? Yeah. Well, did you just put water over the ice in their watering trough or did you clean out the ice first? Well, no, we, we, we get back out there. And well, here we go again. And we're thinking it's never going to come. We're going to open up our presents probably in February, the way this is going. But, you know, there's that waiting. There's that waiting. Sneak down the steps. How many of us done this as a kid? We grab the present that's ours and give it a shake, trying to guess. You know, we try to find the hiding place, kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're trying to find where are the presents hidden so we could see them before they're they're gift wrapped because the waiting is just terrible. We hate waiting as a child. I realized that that um, you know as I got I've gotten older as an adult, it's not Christmas I have trouble waiting for. Life has its moments where I have trouble waiting on God and waiting for God to do something. Am I right? We never outgrow this this 
dislike, if we want to say, okay, hatred of waiting. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait in lines. We don't like to wait at the store. We don't like to wait for anything. I'd hear stuff like this. Well, Tim, just remember, good things come to those who wait. And of course, I'd say, well, it better be good because I've been waiting a long time. That's the way it is in Christmas. And sometimes that's the way it is with life. It's difficult to wait on God. Look at the Bible says here. This is a, written on your notes and written up here on the screen. Written by a guy named David who was after the heart of God. He loved God with all of his heart. And he said, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? You ever do a word search, have some fun, type in the word, how long? Just type those two words in. You'll be surprised how many times David comes to God. Well, he's complaining. He's whining. He's in anguish, folks. And he's just saying what many of us think sometimes, don't we? How long, Lord? How long is it going to be? I, I, there's one, one particular verse that's got to, it translates it like this. Are you just going to sit there and do nothing? How long are you going to sit there? Do something for crying out loud. And so in this series, we've been looking at people who have been waiting and searching for this new king. And today, if you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 2, I'd like to read a part of the Christmas story that I don't know if anybody ever puts connects it with the birth of Christ. Of two people that have been waiting their lifetime. For a lifetime. Can you think of anything you're, you'd be willing to wait a lifetime for? I've got two people here that did. Their names are Simeon and Anna. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was even conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifices in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, and here we see the fifth of five songs in the Christmas account. I didn't even realize it was five songs. I've already told Coral next year I'd like to do a Christmas series called The Five Songs of Christmas and look at these five songs and maybe have a, a little more music in our presentation next year. So be praying about that. And if you want to help with that, just see Coral. I told her, and oh, she was so excited. <laughs> but look at it says here. He starts singing. He starts praising God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming after them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. See, I've always, when I've, I don't know, my idea of the Christmas story, and I've had it adjusted several times over the years, but I thought I had it down. There's Mary and Joseph, then there's the shepherds, then there's the magi. You know, here we've got, you know, Herod up here, we've got some of some buildings of Bethlehem, and, you know, you've got, here you have, again, Mary and Joseph are told you're going to have a son, he's going to be great. He's going to be a king who rules like a shepherd. It's an exciting time. Mary starts to sing her song. She's so excited. And then, you know, as they're about to give birth, they go to Bethlehem. Of course, there's no room in the inn. They find a place to stay. There's some animals that happen to be here with them, and they give birth. Shepherds, we found out last week, the shepherds are, are, are announced by angels, are announced to the shepherds that Jesus has been born, and they say, let's go see, and they go. And then the Magi show up at the house two years later, and uh, that's it. This story is sandwiched between what's happened with the shepherds and happened with the wise men. It's right in between them. In fact, Jesus is 40 days old. He's still a baby. And what's interesting to me is people are still looking for Him. God is still bringing people and Jesus together. And so what I notice here is is that we find these two people waiting. And they've been waiting a long time. Tradition tells us that Simeon was over a hundred years old. We read from the Scriptures, Luke says that, that Anna was older than 84. She'd been a widow for 84. Is that what you get? Uh, uh, Coral noticed that. She said, Tim, she's older than 84. Well, she's old. Now, we know that. And they've been waiting a long time. And here's what I, the first thought I had was, as I was reading this, going, it's never too late to look for the Lord. Never too late in life to look to the Lord. Last year, you know, um, uh, Ruby was baptized up here, um, uh, Alan's mother, and um, she said to me, did I waste my life all this time going to church and everything, and now I get it, now I see something? Tell me, Tim. I go, no, you never waste your life doing what God wants. It's never waste. You never waste your time looking for the Lord. And by the way, I'm still looking for the Lord. You say, well, didn't you find Him? Yeah, but the Bible says to seek His righteousness, His kingdom and His righteousness. It's a way of life. It's something I'm to do my whole lifetime. And here, Simeon and Anna have been looking for a lifetime. It's never too late to look for the King of kings and Lord of lords. You never waste your time. Your life is not a waste when you find Him. Sometimes it takes people longer. Some people it takes longer to find Him than others. You know, we're not as fortunate, some of us here, as the shepherds. And we find out the very night. Maybe we find a little bit later in life. But thank God we find Him. Thank God we find Him. 
And look what happens when they find this newborn king. Look what Luke reveals here in 28 through 32. Here's what Simeon says. He says, oh, Lord, I've been waiting and here he is. Take me home. Let me die. You can take me now. I've been waiting for this. This is so exciting. He is going to be a light for everybody. He's going to save mankind. And his name, by the way, Jesus means one who saves. This is exciting. Take me now. I don't need anything else. And what a lovely, wonderful principle to live by. That you want to find Christ before you die. I did a funeral this week for a dear friend of my mother and a neighbor. And I couldn't help but think about how important it is. I was reminded once again how important it is to find Jesus before you die. And these two, Simeon and Anna, their attitude is, I want to find the Lord. If I have to spend the rest of my life knowing who He is, I'll gladly do it. Look at Anna's response. She gives thanks to God. It says here in verse 38, And she tells people about this child. She praises God when she finally finds this newborn king and she starts helping others find the hope that they've been waiting for too. I hope that you think about this, that what you have, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have something very special and very precious and you want other people to find Him. I I want to encourage you to take advantage of the holidays here and let's bring some people with us on Christmas Eve. And maybe they'll hear something. Maybe there'll be a moment. God will plant something in their heart and change their life. This morning I want to say this to you. I'm not sure what you're waiting on from God. Maybe you're waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting for a lot of stuff, to be honest with you. Personally, I'm waiting for God to help this church grow. I'm waiting for God to change some things around here. I'm waiting for leaders, for people to step up and lead. And it's driving me nuts. I don't know how Alan and Gary put up with me sometimes. Because I'll come into these elders meetings and I'll be bothered. And they know it. Oh, here we go. Get ready. Man, we something. We got to do something. We got to... Tim, you know, it's... And if I say anything like, I need to wait on God, they're like, that's great. That's great. You need to wait. The Lord determines it anyway. I get antsy. And maybe you share some of these same things. You're waiting for God to move in this church. You're waiting for God to move into someone's life that you love. You're waiting for someone to step up and take more responsibility. Maybe you're waiting for someone that you love, that you dearly care for, to be finally touched with Christ. Maybe you're waiting. Oh, you're waiting. God, I'd love to. I want to grow up. Remember as kids, we... I wish I could shave. I wish I could drive a car. I can't wait to grow up. Spiritually speaking, sometimes I can't wait to finally be over this. Finally, this thing finally behind me. And I've got some kind of maturity for a change. And people don't look at me like I'm some kind of immature, spoiled brat anymore around here. Maybe you're waiting for that. Or maybe you're waiting for a blessing. What do you mean, Tim? Well, you're waiting for a blessing. You're wanting God to bless your life. You've been good. You've been faithful. You've set a standard like some of you here have. I'm not just going to marry anybody. I want to marry a disciple. But Tim, I've been waiting a while. It's hard to hang on to that principle 
when you see others selling out or others choosing less and I, and I'm seeing what's I I want it. I mean, I want this so bad. You hang in there. That's all I want to say to you. I know what the Bible teaches and I want to I want to obey that. And you know, you know what you're doing and I think it's so wonderful, by the way, as a single. You're not so concerned about marrying the right person, but being the right person to marry. And I'm going to tell you right now, my dad used to say, you could get a whole lot more flies with molasses than a pile of... Mm. And I, I'm here to tell you that being the right person, praise God that that's your focus. And God is going to reward you and bless you. Sometimes the worst thing in life is not to be 27 and unmarried, but to be 27 and married to the wrong person. I just want to remind you, you stick to those standards. You hold on to that because God is preparing to bless you. And maybe you're saying, man, I would just love to see that happen. You know what? Some of you here, I would love to see that happen for you too. A lot of us would. But for some reason, you're waiting. Some of you may be waiting for a child. Some of you may be saying, I wish I was waiting for a child. You know, I've got enough. You know, but, but I'm waiting for a child. And I know some of us here have waited for children for years, and then all of a sudden, God just, it happens. It just happens. And maybe, maybe you've been waiting. Maybe it's not for all these things as much as maybe health. I'd like to have my health back. I'd like to have better health. And I'm, I was with Stephanie this, this past Friday when all the ice was out there and everything was, man, it was at a standstill. And I was talking to Stephanie and, and she just, guys, she's just sicker than a dog. Just sicker. And she goes, Tim, she doesn't want to eat. And you can tell she's getting weary of it all. And the idea of having health, oh my. I'm antsy. Lord, give her some health. I don't know what it is you're waiting for. I want to tell you, I don't know why you're having to wait. I don't know why I have to wait for so many things. But you know, there's moments in our lives we have to wait, don't we? Why? Why? Like we, we, listen, I want what I want and I want it now. And I, and, and it, it's, why do I have to wait like a small child on Christmas? We used to sing at church camp. I noticed this at church camp primary week, the little kids. What's, how's the song go, campers? Yeah. Why are we waiting? They start banging on the table. Why are we waiting? You know, I've noticed it's always a little kid that starts it. Immature. And it's the adults that have to say, stop it. Stop it. Oh, I'd like to be like that with God. Instead of like a little kid. Why am I waiting? That I could be mature enough to go, like Simeon and Anna. There's a reason you're waiting, Tim. God has a reason you're waiting. And listen to me, church. When God makes you wait, it's always a good reason. Always a good reason. Oh, I don't like that answer. I don't either. But you know, good things do come to those who wait. Look at the Bible says here. It is good to wait patiently for deliverance from the Lord. I'm saying to you this morning, I don't know what you're waiting on, what God is making you wait for, 
But I want to challenge you. I want to urge you. I want to cheer you to keep on praying. You keep on believing. You keep on trusting. You don't stop because it is worth the wait. What God has in store for you is worth waiting for. See, that's what Simeon and Anna are counting on. Because they willingly and and patiently wait and God gives them something very good. The King of Kings. And so what I want to do here is kind of look at the lives of these two. I learn a few things from these two on how to find a king that's worth waiting for. How to be patient, things of that nature. Let me give them to you. I've got two long points and a short one on the end. Just getting you ready for this, alright? Number one. Eh, we, don't, we don't need to go anywhere, it's cold. Number one. I will find the king worth waiting for when I get serious about looking for Jesus. This isn't something I do once in my life. This is something I do for a lifetime. I just thought it was interesting. Out of the crowd at the temple, out of all the crowd, out of the thousands of babies that have went through the temple, these two recognize Jesus. They're able to see Him. They recognize the Messiah. I've learned something here. You do not find Jesus accidentally. It's not a coincidence if you find Jesus I was talking to James Lampley about this. We were praying this morning together. He says, hey, Tim, think about this. When you get to heaven, you're going to know where the restrooms are. I go, huh? He goes, that's how familiar you're going to be with the Lord. I like that. You're not going to be some, oh my gosh, where do I start? No, I I kind of got an idea what's going to happen here. Because I've been walking with the Lord. I've been seeking the Lord. And I've been finding all kinds of things about Him. You're not going to find Jesus. Listen, you are never going to find Jesus if you think a casual search. If you think it's a, if you casually search, you're not going to find Jesus that way either. You don't find Jesus casually. In fact, you're going to, honestly, the kind of relationship you have is the kind of relationship you are looking for. And if you've got a casual approach, guess what? You're going to have a very casual and surface, very, very shallow relationship with Jesus. But when you get serious about looking for Him, and I mean by that, it's it's a top priority. That never It never changes. It stays there. It stays there for a lifetime. When you have that kind kind of search going on, when you're that serious, you're going to find Christ. You're going to learn things from Christ and experience things from this Messiah and this King that you can't find accidentally or with a casual approach. Look at this in Jeremiah 29. This is up on the screen. And I use it again because it's a promise. And I believe Jesus echoes this promise as He speaks as well in the Gospels. When you come looking for Me, you will find Me. Yes, when you get serious about finding Me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. That's the kind of promise Jesus gives us. The kind of promise God gives us. Jesus said, come to Me. And I'll give you rest. Jesus said... The greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you love, when God's a top priority, you have, you have what you need to find Him. You have what you need to walk with Him. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're not looking for Jesus in a serious way, you're not going to find Him. I know this from experience. 
You know, I remember when I was, maybe anybody else can identify this, I don't know, I'm supposed to say this or not, but I remember I studied my brains off trying to find Christ to become a Christian. And then it began to settle down. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? We have all these studies, we get really close, we start reading, and then all of a sudden, and then, and then we, get, we get baptized and someone, and we think, I feel like I've been dropped. Well, who dropped who now? Who dropped who? Because I'll tell you what, I've learned. I have butterfingers too. And I might have somebody not work with me as much as they used to, but I'll tell you what I've learned. That I've dropped Jesus a few times and got caught up in other things that have become priorities and not the Christ. See, what we see here is we see two people here that are very serious about finding Jesus Christ. As I was studying the background on this, I noticed something. At that time, you were in two different camps as, as Jews, basically. There's the Jewish camp that's, that's like this. They are looking for a Messiah, and when He comes, He will free us from the tyranny of whoever's over our country and restore Israel to its rightful place on top of everything else. And so they had this idea that Jesus or the Messiah would get rid of Rome, would get rid of the rule, and their nation would be free and restored again. Then there's another group, what some people call the silent minority. They're called the quiet in the land is what the phrase was normally called. Who are they? They're the people who see things from a bigger picture than just their country. But they see the kingdom. They're not interested so much. They're not into violence. They're not into protest. They're not into fighting their way for control. No, they're, they're interested in this Messiah to come and deliver them not from a nation, but from sin, which is the real bondage we all experience. And Simeon and Anna make up this quiet in the land. And you see their priority the way their priorities are, how serious they are. Look what it says about Anna. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She's, I don't know how old, 80, 90, some years old. I want to say something this morning. And it's, how do I, I'm not meaning to stereotype anybody here. I want to make that clear. Let me give a a disclaimer here. I'm not trying to stereotype older people in particular because I are becoming one. I'll be 60 next year. And I get to say that for a couple more weeks. But there's something about these two people I notice. And one of them is, is their age. And Anna, in particular, has been through a lot. You live a long time, you go through a lot. I mean, think about this. She has lost her husband early in life. And this is devastating. One of the greatest pains, suffering experiences a person can encounter is the death of a spouse or a child. And she loses her husband. You say, well, that's, that's sad. Well, let me tell you, she's alone for the rest of her life. We have no mention of children. 
Either they died when they were born because the mortality rate is so high, they're not around. By the way, if you're a Jewish woman and you lose your husband, you lose your breadwinner, which stands to chance you're going to lose your land, you're going to lose everything. And she is living at the temple. She's referred to by some scholars as the temple sweeper. So she's the custodian cleaning up the messes. And this has been going on day after day, year after year. And what I noticed about this woman is this. In her loneliness, in her pain, in her grieving, she is not hardened by that. She's not bitter with this. She's not resentful. And her faith catches. Her faith. Her faith is not stale or stagnant. You see, it's very important. You know, when we're young, I looked in the mirror the other day, and it's, it's getting worse. It's just getting worse. My hair is... I was a blonde as a kid, and it's not... I'm looking, I'm looking at platinum blonde now. It's just... The hair is only darker when it's wet. And I get about, you know, about 15 minutes of that, and then all of a sudden, whoa, who is this guy? Like the Santa Claus, the oldness in the beard. And what's that? What? Miraculously, who is this man? And I realize it's me. I'm talking to myself. Oh, my gosh. The tummy is, the spare tire is turning into a tire rack. I'm, it's, you say, you're a skinny guy. I'm holding it in as best I can. It's just age. My energy, I have no energy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you older folks lied to me. Oh, you're going to be... You're, when you get older, you're going to like blah, 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 blah. Yeah, Vernon, yeah, right, liar. I don't have the energy I used to have. Nora says, come play, Grandpa. Come on, play, play, play. Tea party now. Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm wore out, Nora. Papa is old. You know, you're two. I make up 25, 27 of you. You know, 20, I don't even want to count anymore. It's a lot. And I want you to know, I want to say this to, to us that are older, but the younger, you, yeah, Bob's covering up his ears. <laughs> I want to say this to our older folks, and younger folks need to know this, that age will take away your beauty and energy. But there's something worse than that. It's when age takes away the life and beauty out of your heart to the point where you resign your dreams and hopes and settle for things the way they are. This woman refuses to do that. She is older. She's been through all kinds of stuff. And she will not surrender her desire to see Jesus. Not one bit. I remember sitting in churches like this one and watching old people walk around and saying, I'm never going to be like them. How many of you older folks remember saying that or thinking the same thing? Absolutely. You can barely get your hand up. I understand why. I said to say, I'll never let that happen to me. I think, let me tell you what, it's easier said than done, folks. You have to deal with that if you're going to end well. Anna and 
Simeon teaches how to end life well, and they are passionate about Christ. Let me ask you, those of us over 50, you losing it? Have you lost it? Anna and Simeon still have it. And it's because, well, how have you lost it? What, what, what's caused it? You've been hurt? Everybody gets hurt. You've been disappointed? Everybody gets disappointed. You know, the difference between Anna and Simeon and the rest of us sometimes is this. They're determined. They will not surrender their hope. They will not surrender their dream. So you have to do things as you get older. You've got to use it or you are going to lose it. You've got to take care of yourself spiritually, not just physically, but spiritually. Here's what I noticed. I noticed this. I learned from Anna this important thought. That my response to life as I get older will be shaped by what I think of God. See, Anna sees God as a loving father, not as a tyrant. Not as a miser. Not as a punisher. And see, we somehow over the years, we can find ourselves that, that subtle shift of God as a father who understands me and loves me and will take care of me. We begin by getting hurt. Well, if he was taking care of me, why did I get hurt? Well, if he was taking care of me, why did that disappointment him? If he's taking care of me, why? And before long, we have enough experience. That now we have, we have to make a decision. Am I going to still believe he's this? Or am I going to embrace something else? Anna would never let go of it. Simeon would never let go of it. They saw their God a certain way. We see Anna as humble and kinder and softer. Why? Because she sees God differently than most old people do. Heck, she sees God differently than most people do. And she's serious about the Lord. It's her top priority. She lives at the temple. She's always there. She placed herself as close to God as possible. No wonder when God in the flesh was carried in the temple court, she recognized Him. She saw the resemblance. Look at it says in Proverbs 8, Joyful are those who listen to Me, watching for Me daily at whose doors? Or whose gates? My gates, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. I sit in my home and go, God, when are you gonna, when are you gonna act? Why are you taking so long? Come on, hurry up, let's go. And he's saying, uh, you need to come to my home. You need to get close to me, Tim. A day, look at this, David says, a day spent in your temple is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorman in the temple of my God than live in palaces of wickedness. David said, I'd, I'd rather be at the door of your place. I'd rather be close to you than have anything else. Let me ask you, what's your top priority? What's getting most of your energy? I had somebody last week say to me, boy Tim, you put me to sleep. I stayed up a couple of nights too late. And I'm going, what took your energy is what I'm thinking. That well, you can't have your energy here on Sunday morning. Simple question. 
And look, what's, look, look at Simeon. Look, at, look, look what he's about. Now there was a man. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a big shot. Just a man. Just a regular guy uh, called Simeon. He was righteous. What's that mean? He was righteous and devout. You know what I learned from this? That, that it's obvious to everyone else that God matters to Simeon because he's righteous. It shows up in the way he treats people. He's devout. He's not religious. I, I, when I did my mother-in-law's funeral, that, that's different. My mother-in-law's funeral, most men would go, oh my, it's payback. Oh, no, no, not with Norma. I said to the family, Norma Doty was not religious. And I heard a gasp. <gasps> I go, no, she was a disciple. And then you hear a moan. See, Devout doesn't mean you're religious. Oh, you could say, well, it gives a flavor. I'm not interested in being religious. God is not interested in you being religious, and you don't need to be interested in being religious. It's about being a disciple. And it was obvious to everybody that Simeon was not only righteous, he treated other people good. You want to know people to know how serious you are? The way you treat them is how they know how serious you are about Christ. And how devout are you? Who do you seek to please? It's obvious to everybody in Simeon's life. And then it says the Holy Spirit's on him. The Holy Spirit's mentioned three times in this story. It promised him. It prompted him to do something. You see the power of the Holy Spirit in this man's life. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, what I understand the Holy Spirit to be mostly, and I'm not saying there's other things about him, what I think of when I think of the Holy Spirit, two thoughts go through my mind. He has the power, He supplies me with power, and He supplies me with direction or wisdom. And so it's obvious to everybody that Simeon, the power of God, is working in his life. And the choices and the decisions he makes seem to be far above his pay grade. He's got some, is he cheating or something? No, it's obvious he pleases God and God gives him the wisdom in day-to-day decision making. You've heard it said, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know what Simeon would say? Jesus is the reason for me living. That's all I want. That's all I'm after, Tim. Well, you've you got to make a living. Well, yeah, I work. And you've got a family. Yeah, I work with my family. But the thing that satisfies me the most, listen, the thing that I want the most, like Paul would say, for me, to, well, I want I, the only important thing about living is Christ. This is Simeon. The only thing that satisfies me. The only thing worth living about is Jesus. I don't know about you, but if you have that attitude, Jesus is on your mind all the time. God is on your mind all the time. And you bring Christ and the King and His rule into everything. So ask yourself this morning, is, is Jesus who I'm after? Or am I after... Am I after a Savior that will save my butt when I need it? Or am I after a Lord who wants to rule that will take care of me and I can trust Him? Because it says here in Psalm 63, David would later say, after saying how long, how long, he'd say, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. He says, nothing satisfies me more than Jesus. Nothing satisfies me more than God. Can you say that this morning? Because if you want to find the king worth looking for, 
worth finding, worth the wait. Take serious, serious approach to that, serious search. Number two, I find the king I'm waiting for when I trust God's timetable over mine. Who likes to wait? I don't know anybody that likes to wait. I go to hospital the other night, and I'm walking around, and all these people, and we call them patients, and they're trying to find a way to get out of there as fast as possible. We have waiting lines. I was in Casey's Friday night again. Uh, here I am in Casey's, and I'm standing there. I walk in. Denise, I'm trying to get Denise Davis. lives in St. Charles. said, Denise, you need to get home. It's ice on the road. Okay. And she opens up the hood. I go, what are you doing? I don't know if I've got enough washer fluid. I'm looking around. We don't have any. Casey's is next door. I'll run right in there, come right back. I run right in there, and there, and I get my stuff. I walk up, and there are five men in front of me. Now, as a man, I'm encouraged by that. Because men are fast. Nothing, nothing sex. I'm just saying men are, get it done, get it out. We're gone. Pick it up. But not these guys. No, 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 no. Here they come. Damn, my brother's making gestures at me. Here, here, they, here they come. And this guy's sitting there in the front of the line. And he goes, uh, I like to have pack cigarettes. Okay, what kind of cigarettes you want? Well, you know, I don't know. I kind of like that there. What about that pack over there? This pack? No, no, no. The one over. No, no, no. Down one. I go, pick a pack of cigarettes, man! I don't, I'm thinking that. He gets his cigarettes, fumbles around in his billfold. I'm like, come on! Lady walks in. Kid you not, ladies. Walks in and goes, what in the world, man? I'm in a hurry. She doesn't think it. She says it. Goes and grabs a can of soda and stands right behind me. I can't believe this. Next guy walks up. Yeah, I like my lottery ticket. What kind? Pick three. Lucky four. Scratch a wrap. Whatever. Which one you want to pick? I'll pick. I don't know. Which one's good? Which one do you think? Oh, my gosh. The woman. The woman's going. I hear her breathing and puffing. Come on. Looking at her watch, I got things to do, and I go, yeah, I, you know, I, I said, you know that you, we wait five years of our lives in line. That did not help. She goes, I got that beat, and I go, well, so I'm sitting there. Finally, we get the guy. I go, yeah, I tell you what, why don't you go in front of me? Really? Yeah, let me save you thirty seconds. Merry Christmas. Really? Well, thank you. And she gets in line, and the next guy, I'm looking for some. Oh, come on. It's like, forget it. Nobody likes to wait. Denise, by the way, Denise David's stuck in traffic. There's a wreck on 370. She doesn't get home. She leaves at uh, uh, around a quarter to five. She finally, because it took a while at Casey's. Um, she gets home, gets home two and a half hours later. There's a wreck on 370. We hate waiting. We hate waiting. Who likes that? Nobody likes that. I'll tell you, God news for you. We don't like waiting on the Lord either. Do we? We don't like it at all. We don't like it at all. Listen, folks, you better learn to deal with His delays because you and I don't control it. Look at this passage here, Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon. He's been looking for the meaning of life, and as he does, he stumbles across this fact. 
Everything that happens in this world happens at the time God chooses. Now that either can excite you or discourage you. I want you to know in Simeon and Anna's case, it excited them. See, Simeon believes this. And this is why he is waiting all of his life. He's been praying every day. And on this particular day, you can see he senses something's going on. He senses the Spirit of God nudging him that something is about to happen. So he goes one more time to the temple. One more time he decides, let's see what's going on. Look what it says. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and he sees Jesus and he grabs Him in his arms and he begins to praise God. What's Simeon saying? Is he saying, finally, I've been waiting long enough. No. Finally. I've been looking forward to this. For such a long time. I knew it was going to happen. You told me it was coming. And when I woke up this morning, man, I had this feeling. I thought I better hurry up and I threw my clothes on and ran up here as fast as I could. One more time I come up here and look, there he is. Just like you said. See, Simeon's not angry. He's not bothered. He's not frustrated. Why not? Because he trusts God's timetable. See, he believes if God's making him wait, there's got to be a good reason. A better reason than he has. And he believes God will act when he thinks it's the right time. Galatians 4, look what it says. It's a Christmas reference. But when the right time came, the time God decided on, He sent His Son, born of a woman, born as a Jew, to buy freedom for us when we were slaves to the law so He could adopt us as His very own sons. Look, folks, I don't know what you're waiting for, but God is going to decide what will happen and when it will happen. And the sooner... You accept this, the better off you're going to be. When you start jerry-rigging with stuff, you know what I want to say? I'll get close as I can to what I'm saying. When you start mucking around with stuff and try to force things and rush things, guess what happens? It's all messed up. Why do you say it like that? Because I'm telling you from experience, I don't know how many times I've tried to force it tried to make it happen, there, it's in place. And it doesn't get blessed. Why not? Because it wasn't on God's timetable. It was on mine. Who am I to think I know better than the Lord? That His timing, you're way off, God. He says, no. It's at the right time, Tim. And I want to say to you this morning, if you've been waiting... If you've been waiting for God to do something in your marriage, if you've been waiting for God to do something in, in your kids' lives, if you've, I, I, I talked, I got a guy I'm talking to right now. His daughter's in New York and she's left the Lord. And he's like, I don't know what to do, but pray and wait. I don't, I don't know what you're waiting on, but I am going to, I want to encourage you. You go one more time to the throne of God and pray. Go one more time. Go one more time to your small group and believe. Go one, get, get together with somebody one more time and open that Bible up and, and believe one more time that God's going to do something. And guess what? You keep that up at the right time. God's going to do something. 
at the right time, he's going to do something. Look at David. Look what David says here. The course of my life is in your power. He decides, I'm dealing with this, and here's how I'm going to deal with it. My times are in your hands, what one translation says. My life is in your hands, is what one translation says. My, my course, my future, the outcome is in your hands, is what some translations say. And he just finally says, you know what? It's my life, isn't it? It's in your power, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your timetable over mine. I'm going to trust my future. My future to you. I'm not going to get all bothered and bitter when I, I have to wait. I'm, instead, I'm going to look forward to it because it's worth the wait. You know and have the reason for what you're, why you're doing. You know, a lot of times God makes you wait, makes me wait, because He's working on me. He's working on you. Because if He, if he granted it, you're not going to be ready for it. And so what do we do while we're waiting? A lot of times we're doing this. We're doing this. We're sulking. We're wasting time. We're wasting time. Anna's at the temple every day. Anna's praying and fasting every day. Simeon. Simeon is praying. There's a whole song written. The song of Simeon. A song written of the prayer of expectation of God coming and delivering. It's a Jewish song. And what's he do? He goes to the temple. And one day... After thousands of babies have come by, thousands of people, there he is. Holy cow. It's awesome. The day's finally come. Galatians says this, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I'm saying to you, don't give up. You keep believing, keep trusting, keep working. I'd love to have financial freedom. I know we fall into debt, and doesn't it take time to climb out of the hole? And it's so hard to wait. I'm trying, and it seems like I can't, I'm not getting anywhere. You wait on the Lord. You keep trusting His financial plan for your life. He'll bless that. He blesses good stewardship. He really does. You keep giving. You keep being generous. You keep being smart. I found this passage in Habakkuk. And I just, uh, in context, this is a passage Habakkuk is talking about the fall of Babylon to those of Israel that are in captivity. Some believe that he's talking about the coming of the kingdom as well. This maybe this is a one commentator calls it a messianic prophecy he's given in Habakkuk. And then he says these words to the people who've heard this prophecy: "But these things I plan won't happen right away." Slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They'll not be overdue a single day. You might be late for church, but God is not. You might be late for something, figuring it out. I'm a late bloomer, I figure. God's not late. He won't. He, he will not be overdue a single day. Trust His timetable. Now, this last point is going to make real quick here, and it goes like this: I will find the King worth waiting for when I capitalize on the right moment. God has His timetable. 
It involves waiting, but there's a time to not wait. There's a time not to delay. There's a time to act. There's a time to respond. Very interesting passage here. I'm reading it out of the Phillips translation to you. The children's father and mother were still amazed at what was said about him. When Simeon gave them his blessing, he said to Mary, the child's mother, what a strange thing here he said. Look at this. This child is destined to make many fall and many rise in Israel and to set up a standard which, which many will attack. For he, for he will expose the secret thoughts of many hearts. And for you, your very soul will be pierced by a sword. It's at this moment, this critical moment now, Christ has been born. Now He's at the temple. And Mary and Joseph are bringing Him in the temple. And Simeon says, Oh, I've been waiting for this. I'm ready to die. The salvation of all people is finally here. Hallelujah. And then He says this challenging, almost observation. It's got a lot of warning to it. He says, Mary, you need to know something. This child, he's going to save Israel, but he is going to polarize people. He's not going to be politically correct. There's going to be moments he will not be politically correct because he forces you, forces all of mankind to decide what to do with him. He's going to cause some people to rise up they're going to they'll respond to him. This is awesome. Others are going to fall flat on their face. They're going to reject him. It's like a capstone on top of a building falling on them. It's going to be tragic. Some people, based on what he brings, he's going to bring some, some, some ideals and values that some people are not going to like. They're going to, they're going to say things about your son. Can you imagine Mary hearing, finding out there were there were Jesus was, Jesus was called lots of names. One was the deceiver. Can you imagine your mother hearing something like that about you, or you hearing something like that about your kid and it's not true? Deceiver, glutton, not king, not lord, but insults. And he says to Mary. There's going to be a sword that's going to pierce your heart. Now, why is he saying this to Mary? He's saying there's going to come a time. The time has come. He's here. But there'll be a time, Mary, you're going to have to decide, are you going to stay with the Lord or leave the Lord? Because some of this stuff isn't going to be pretty. You need to capitalize on the moment, in other words. People are going to have to make a decision. Found this, found this interesting newspaper article of the Houston Chronicle. It was printed just three days ago. And in the Houston Chronicle, it's talking about a, about a middle school in Colleen, Texas. And what had happened was a nurse's aide had put up a display for Christmas, and it's Linus on the bulletin board with these words, For unto you is born this day the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And Deidre Shannon, after she puts it up, two days later, the principal says, you need to take that down. Why? Because it's offensive. It's going to offend somebody here. You need to take it down. So she takes it down, but the Attorney General of Texas finds out about this, and he's not happy. And he threatens to take this school, take this principal and this school to court to fight it. 
we find out that a judge by the name of Jack Jones sides with Miss Shannon and they put the display back up just a few days ago, just before the Christmas break. You say, Tim, why are you bringing this up? Well, this is what the article says. The story is nothing new, as, there, as for dozens like him are, and are, are around each year, but that's, but that's just the point. We've, listen, we've tried to make Christmas non-offensive, yet it's unavoidable. The reality that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life will always be offensive to those who reject Him. Do we really want to abandon the truth for the sake of reducing offense? And he makes this observation. Plenty of passengers on the Titanic found it offensive that someone was telling them the ship was actually sinking. The wise survivors didn't take offense. They just climbed the lifeboat and lived to tell about it. What are you saying, Tim? I'm saying that Christmas is controversial, but the controversy is not whether I can have a nativity out here in front of the courthouse or or, or a school. The the controversy is going. It's what's inside me. Will he be the king I'm looking for? I can have lots of Christmas stuff set up, but is he set up in me? Is he going to be the king? Because you're either one way or the other. He'll either cause you to rise or fall. And He will expose what you're really about. So you might as well be upfront about it and deal with it. So I say to you this morning, is He a king worth waiting for? Absolutely. And if you're seriously looking for the king, maybe you've found Him. You keep searching. You keep looking at this king you have. He is worth it. If you're waiting for something, you hang in there. Don't you give up. You keep at it. The Lord, one day, And it won't be late. Let Him decide. But most of all, you decide. Is this King that has come at a time like this, will you capitalize on it and seize the moment and respond to this King the right way? Because when you do, you'll find the King you've been waiting for. Good to be together. Thanks for putting up with my crazy stories and bits. Um, God bless you. God bless you today. We're going to meet together next Saturday and um, have a wonderful, I believe, a a life-changing moment here for some people. Um, uh, I'm praying that you'll be able to bring someone with you and they can can be blessed by Christmas too. We have a card in the bulletin. Uh, The card is simply an opportunity for you to, to respond to this lesson, whether it's a comment or whether it's a prayer request. And so keep, we're going to give you a chance to do that while we sing a song, and then we're going to sing another song and take up uh, those cards along with our weekly contribution. May God bless you as you pursue the King. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning, Lord. Thank You, though it's cold. Thank You for everybody being here, Lord. I know that um, I know the right people are supposed, to, are supposed to be here this morning, Lord. You got them here. And we're supposed to hear this together. We're supposed to look at these two people together. Father, I've never put Simeon and Anna in the Christmas story. When I set up a nativity, I don't have even the, I don't even have figures for these two. Who are these two? And Father, I just think, well, they're, you know, they're missing because they are waiting. And yet, Father, I realize they're part of 
they're a major part of Christmas because that's where all of us are. We're, we're waiting. Waiting on You, Father. It's so hard to wait sometimes. To wait for You to turn something around. Wait for You to change something. And Father, I'm sure there's times you've, you've, You say in Your Word, there's times You ask us, how long do I have to wait? You'll say that to us for us to respond, to change, to, to uh, decide, that, that to surrender, to let You reign in our life, to give You control. Well, that's a heavy choice. And Father, we pray, and we pray, Father, as some of us here are waiting for several things that will keep trusting Your Word, that will trust Your Word over our emotions, that will trust Your Word over what the world may say to do in those situations, that will, that will keep praying to You, calling out to You, sensitive to Your Holy Spirit's leading. And Father, help us seize the moment when the time comes. Maybe the moment will be to speak up like Anna to others that are looking for a king. Maybe it will be a moment that we, we finally go, I need to change this and today is the day I need to start dealing with it. Lord, whatever the moment is, a moment to grow, a moment to help someone else grow, a moment to trust You. Help us seize that moment to capitalize on that time that You've put in front of us right now. Well, thank You for babies, the babies that are, that are here now and the babies that are coming. Bless them both with lots of health. Father, I pray that You'll that you help those of us that are sick, that are, that are not here today. I know Stephanie right now is um, still in her hospital bed. So I pray, Father, you give her renewed strength. Give her spiritual energy and power, Father. Give her the heart of Anna and Simeon. Father, for the rest of us, Father, for the rest of those that are, I don't know about, Father, we know about, we're thinking of them right now. Would you take care of them, Father? We humbly pray in Christ's name, Father. Amen.